The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. My next guest is Ireland's only photographer to be awarded the esteemed Pulitzer Prize. His photography has brought him all over the world, from Myanmar to India to Ukraine. He's also the subject of a new documentary called I Dream in Photos, which is in cinemas now. Uh, Cahill McNaughton, good morning and welcome. Thank you. Uh, morning. Now, uh, you started in, I suppose, in a war zone that was Northern Ireland uh, growing up. Um, so, in a sense, you might have been inured to some of the things that you saw. Yeah, uh, well, to be honest, Pat, at the beginning, it was uh, excitement because I'm from a, a very rural area uh, to get out of the countryside and go to Belfast and to witness the things that were you were seeing in the news every night from the safety of your living room. Uh, the the draw initially was was excitement, to be honest. Mm. And and what about the camera? When did you pick up a camera and realise this might be a way to make a living? Well, it, it was kind of fortuitous because uh, at the age of 16, uh, I got my GCSE results and I wasn't, let's just say, very academic. And a family friend was the picture editor of one of the, the newspapers here, and he offered me the opportunity to come in and train as a photographer. I had never actually thought about photography before that, but within a very, very short space of time, I realized that uh, it was my passion, and it became a bit of a, an obsession. Now, it's extraordinary maybe for a younger person, uh, one of our listeners who might be, say, 18 or 19, to think that you never took pictures before you were 16, because everyone nowadays has a a camera in their pocket in the form of a a smartphone. So was there not an old box brownie lying around the house? No, well, like a lot of families at the time, we had had one, one camera. It had a roll of film, and it was brought out on special occasions. So... You know, I would be brought out at birthdays or Christmases. So uh, maybe on one roll of film, whenever it was developed, there would be a couple of birthdays and a couple of Christmases on it. So a camera wasn't really <laughs> something that was used much in our house. So uh, when you finally got uh, your hands on a professional camera, um, how long did it take you to realise you have an eye? Because there are, you know, 10 people with a camera. Two of them will take good shots. The rest will be pretty mundane. Well... I think it became clear quite early on that I had an eye for composition now. Uh, but before I actually really knew what I was doing, it was a it was a good four or five years probably before I could say I knew what I was doing because back then it wasn't uh, it wasn't just so easy to do because everything was analog and there was uh, chemistry and mathematics involved, mm-hmm. neither of which were my strong points. So it, it took a little while, but I think that gave me a good uh, good basis. Yeah. But I have got a an artistic eye, let's just say. Yeah. Um, I mean, growing up, um, I was fascinated by photography uh, myself, but I never made a, a go at professional career. But, I mean, you had to know about apertures and the, the speed which would be appropriate for a particular setting, the the speed of the film you were putting in the, in the camera, uh, and then, you know, messing about in the darkroom, uh, developing and printing your own stuff. A, a lot to learn. Yeah, there was there was a lot to learn, and to be honest, it uh, it it took a while because uh, I remember my my tutor at the time or my mentor uh, Brandon Murphy telling me that one day you'll just be walking along the road, Cahill, and it will click, 
it'll all just it'll all just come together. And that's that's exactly what happened. All of a sudden, I realised what what everything meant, and then it just became uh, like muscle memory. You didn't have to think about things so much. Now, it's one thing to be um, capturing, uh, if you like, the news. It's something else maybe to document uh, the plight of the Rohingya people for which you got the Pulitzer Prize. But let's talk about news, first of all, because you've got to be um, quick. You know, that moment may pass. Yeah, well, that's, that comes with experience. Now, the thing about uh, being quick, it's more, it's, it's better to be, focused and controlled because what happens and what happened to me in the beginning was whenever you're in these situations where your adrenaline's flowing and there's a lot of things happening around you you tend to get caught up in the moment and your your heart rate rises and you shoot everything around you then then when you go back and when everything's nice and calm you look to see what you've done and you really haven't really captured anything so the the trick is to try and slow down it's to pick your pictures to choose them individually so the whole idea is just to calm down and slow down when everything is going on around you. Now, the move out of Northern Ireland into the, the wider world of uh, photojournalism, how did that happen? Basically, it was just a career advancement. I wanted to cover the, the bigger stories. Uh, the troubles in the north here were becoming less of a story, uh, thankfully. And uh, my appetite meant that I, I really wanted to cover international stories and conflict and uh, natural disasters and what have you because that's that's what I my my peers or that's where my my heroes photographic heroes that's that's what they did so it was basically just to to uh, for career advancement and to move on and to see more of the world as well. Now, going into areas of conflict, I mean, you you have to mind yourself. You have to be conscious of your own safety. There's no point in having uh, a camera end up in the ditch with brilliant photographs that no one ever sees because you've been wounded or worse. Um, So that must be something that gives you pause for thought, and yet you need to be there to capture those images. Yeah, well... Of course, you have to think of your own safety at all times and uh, experience as well helps in that. So you get a sense of what is happening because, well, when it comes to maybe something like uh, civil unrest, uh, these things follow a distinct pattern usually. And you can learn to see, you learn to see that pattern and realize how things are, are going to go maybe slightly before before they happen. So that can help. But uh, when it comes to maybe a war zone or something like that, uh yeah, the the rules are very, very different. But as I say, not everybody is uh, suited to this profession either, just like everybody isn't suited to being a nurse or a doctor or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's not everybody that can that can really do it or wants to do it. Now, you're faced, I'm sure, from time to time with the, the journalist uh, dilemma, whether you're a, a written journalist, a spoken journalist or a photo journalist, and that is... You know, do you intervene? You see something terrible. Can you help or do you keep shooting? Yeah, well, this has to be taken on a very much. Uh, there is no black and white answer to this because at the end of the day, we're, I'm a, a human being and if I can help somebody, I will. But it depends on the, it does, here's the grey area, it depends on the situation. If I'm in an, in an area like, for example, the Rohingya, where there were hundreds of thousands of people that needed help, 
for me to try and help one through some random act of charity isn't going to solve a lot. So, But I was able to help, hopefully, more of those people by telling their truth to the world. So through my photography, I was able to hopefully do more good than maybe one simple act of charity. And it was your work on the Rohingya problem that earned you the Pulitzer Prize. The the question of um, photojournalism telling a truth that may not be told maybe on social media and the fake news that goes around. But of course, with AI, we're hearing about fake photojournalism even being created by malign uh, operatives. Yeah, and to be honest, it's not even malign operatives. We've got some of the big uh, companies, uh, tech companies, who seem to have embraced it without uh, thinking it through. And thankfully, even uh, this this week, there was a backlash. The, the World Press Photo Awards had said that they were going to accept uh, AI images. And there was a backlash by myself and other uh, press photographers. And thankfully, they have uh, uh, backtracked on that, and they're not going to now. So... Uh, we're at the very infancy of this, but it's not the first time that uh, uh, photojournalism has come under attack. So, hopefully, hopefully we can uh, we can uh, stay in the, on the on the right side of history with this one. We played a quote from you at the very beginning of the program, where you're talking about the impact of you know seeing so many dead bodies, and you were saying there are other photographers they've seen far more dead bodies than I have, and they're fine. Uh, ergo, I'm fine. Yeah, well, that's that's something that I I came to realise over the past the past uh, three or four years that there isn't any hierarchy or there's no uh, diagram diagram or anything that you know one dead body equals this amount of tears or seeing two dead bodies equals this amount. It's it's different for everybody. So uh, yeah, it's very important that people realise that uh, anything you know. Simply seeing a car crash could have the same effect on somebody as me seeing genocide. And it's to accept that and to trust your own emotions. If you don't feel right about it, then uh, go and seek seek help or talk to people. Um, When you come back to the first world after working in the developing world, um, what impact does it have? Because we have so much and in places you've been, they have so little. It can be it can be difficult paths uh, to. One of the hard things to do is to sort of find your place in your family again, because you have been very focused for a period of time on uh, a singular news event, and then you come home and you realise that the the world has continued on without you, and most people aren't interested in that singular news event you've been covering, and so you can feel it's a kind of a strange situation where you feel separate it when you're away from home and you feel separate when you're at home. So it's trying to overcome that is one of the, the most difficult things, I think. Um, you, your memories from uh, your career thus far and your, uh, I believe, in some sort of a hiatus at the moment in in that uh, career, um, a memory from Bangladesh? Uh, a memory, uh, I'm not in a hiatus actually, but I'm working again. But uh, uh, I'm just dealing with pictures from the Middle East as we're as we're speaking here. But Bangladesh, one of the things that uh, struck me about Bangladesh, there was lots of terrible things happening. 
But uh, there was one particular incident where it was monsoon season when I was there. And I was standing in the rain and pouring rain beside these tens of thousands of uh, temporary shelters. And they're just tarpaulins stretched over branches and things. And I was standing out waiting on the the rain to uh, pass. And there was a family that were kept ushering me to come inside their inside their uh, shelter, and eventually I relented because I, I didn't want to appear rude. And I went inside, and of course the water's still running in underneath the the tarpaulin, and the place is soaking, but it's completely empty, completely empty, apart from one thing, and that one thing was a log. And it was the only place in that entire shelter that you could get any respite from. Uh, the dirt on the ground or the the rain outside and they insisted that I sat on this log and they all stood around and just stared at me and this went on for a few minutes until I couldn't take it anymore actually I I had to get up and leave but that is one of the most singular greatest acts of kindness that I've ever received in my life and it's just the the simple things like that that leave uh, more of an indelible print on your memory maybe than some of the the bigger things that people would think. I did mention that hiatus, which um, I think you did have for a while. Um, What prompted you back into conflict? Uh, Well, well, if you've seen the video or the documentary, sorry, you would, there's no way in that time that I think that I'm going to be taking photographs again. But then there was a an incident with my my mother who has uh, Alzheimer's, and I was sitting at the the kitchen table with her, and I looked over her shoulder and I spoke to my father, and uh, my my mum looked at me and she laughed and said, uh, "How do you know that man?" So I said, "Mum, that's that's my dad." And sure, aren't you my aren't you my mum? And she looked at me and started laughing again and said, "Am I?" And at that moment, I realised there was absolutely no point in me being back home for my my mother anymore because she didn't know who I was most of the time. So at that point, I had received an offer of a job, which I I wasn't considering, but at that point, everything changed and I realized, no, this is something I have to do again. And so it's, yeah, it's it's kind of a bittersweet and I suspect that um, your life, in spite of some of the horrors you have to witness, is it's a pretty addictive life, I would imagine. Yeah, I would I would liken it to a drug, and I don't know whether it's a very uh, if it's a stable relationship or not. Uh, it's cost me a lot, but on the other hand, I I wouldn't change it because there's not many people will do this this line of work and I think it is so important and I, I, I don't think it's ever been more important than it is right now at this particular time. Well, the documentary of which you are the subject is called I Dream in Photos. It's in cinemas now and Cahill, thank you very, very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance weekdays at 9am on News Talk. Thank you very much for joining us on the programme today.